Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, um, let me ask you a question. How many people here in their life, in their history, have ever met a Christian? Raise your hand. Oh, good. That was a little more than I thought. Um, how many people have ever met a Christian that you did not like? Raise your hand. Come on, come clean. Put them up there. All right, some of you put both hands up. I don't know what that means. How many people have ever met a Christian that did not believe what they believe? What we believe? What you believe? That was a weird question. I just scrap that one, okay? Throw that one out. Well, let me ask you an important question. How many people here can sing the song, I am a Christian? You know? I am a C, I am a C-H, I am a C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N, and I am C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N. Okay, stop, stop, wait, 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 that's, wait a minute. You did not come to hear me sing. I don't care what you, what you claim, that was not going to happen, all right, all right. Hey, what is a Christian? If you were to define that term, if, if I was to give you all a little, a little uh, quiz today, and you had to write on there the top five definitions of what makes a Christian or what a Christian should believe or what a Christian should look like or act like, and then we pulled all those answers together, I guarantee we would not be able to have any kind of consensus. Because you have a different idea, then I have a different idea. And if we were to extend that quiz to all the Christians of the whole world, would we be able to bring some sort of definition? What is a Christian? How, how does that word even make sense? Where does that word come from? Anyone know? It's actually in the Bible. It's a good place to find it, right? But I guarantee it's in the Bible less than you think it is. It's in the Bible a grand total of three times. Three. In fact, this is the first one. Let's throw it up there. Acts chapter 11. Luke wrote the book of Acts, and he is a great historian. And as he's kind of drawing out this uh, this story of, of, of the church and how it grows and how it expands and how it reaches beyond the current religion of Judaism and expands to, to uh, Gentiles and to the whole world. In the midst of that story, he introduces some characters that you guys might be familiar with, a guy by the name of Barnabas. Anyone have heard of him? Barney, as I like to call him. I don't know. I just think that's funny. Okay. And went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Saul becomes Paul. Anyone familiar with Paul? Okay, you guys with me? You guys kind of get an idea of where we are. So Saul... Barnabas goes to look for Saul. Barnabas goes to look for Saul at Tarsus. Easy for me to say. And then he found him, and we brought him back to Antioch. Antioch was the very first church. And w- for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Here it is. It's almost like a parenthesis. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Well, then they jump right back into the story. They don't talk anything about what a Christian is and talk about what a Christian believes and talk about what they look like or talk like. It's almost like, oh yeah, if you ever run into a Christian, by the way, BTW, this is where you find them. This is where they're first called. There's two other times. One is in Acts, and it comes from a, a different story where it just says, uh, pretty much just drops the word Christian in the midst of the story. It doesn't give any other definition to the term. And then later we have Peter writing to his church, and First Peter say the same thing. Just drops this word Christian. It doesn't give any definition or understanding. And so then this religion that expands over this whole world, 2,000 years later, we have this understanding of a, a Christian. Now let me ask you a couple more questions about this word Christian. How many of you 
have ever bought a Christian T-shirt. My favorite one is the one my son has where it says, I must ask you, as a mustache, I mustache you about God. I guess that's a Christian T-shirt because it has the word God on it or has the has the mustache on it. I don't want to make it a Christian. Have you ever seen a Christian movie? Listen to Christian music? Christian radio? Bought a Christian book? Read a Christian book? How about have you ever bought a non-Christian book at a Christian bookstore? Whoa, talk about blow your mind, right? Have you ever bought Christian jewelry? Been to a Christian website? What makes it Christian, by the way? Like, if I have a Christian t-shirt, does the person who, who made that have to be a Christian before it's a Christian t-shirt? Or does it have to have a Christian message? And then what is the Christian message? Does it have to have the whole Christian message or just a part of the Christian message? Does it have to have the word Christian? Does it have to have the word God? Does it have to have part of the Bible? Does it have to have the Bible reference? Does it have to have the whole Bible reference? Does it have to spell it all out? I'm just really, really confused. And maybe you are too. Because when we come to the word Christian, it is utterly hard to define. It's utterly hard to put our fingers on it. Do you know, in the world, in throughout history, these people claim to be Christians. The Ku Klux Klan. Hitler. Billy Graham. Mother Teresa. When's the last time you had a list that included Mother Teresa and Hitler in the same list? All the U.S. presidents, including the current one, and all the candidates who are running, save for a couple that are currently running, claim to be Christians. Now, would you say you believe with all those people the same way? You would say, no, though some of those aren't Christian, right? Would you say that? Some of the people that I just listed on that list would say they are not Christian. But they claim to be Christian. So what's a Christian? I hate this word. In fact, we're going to start this great series next week. It's called I Quit. And the very first one, you've got to come back here. Don't want to miss it. Plan on being here. Bring a friend. It's called I Quit Church. Maybe no one will show up, right? <laughs> you, 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 come, you, come, you come to it, then you quit, all right? Well, today's probably should be I Quit Being a Christian. Because the term is not appropriate to describe what this faith and belief is that we have. In fact, I know this. Because Jesus never used this term. Never even dared to go near it. In fact, he had another term. He had another term that was so exact, so unambiguous, so, so perfect, that there was no doubt what he was talking about when he labeled his followers this particular word. It wasn't Christian. It wasn't amb ambiguous. It was right on, hit the nail on the head, no pun intended. Everyone knew when he mentioned this term. And it's this term, it's called, in Greek, it's mathetes, and it means follower, disciple, pupil, student. That's what it meant. And it was this, this understanding, this relationship, this mentoring relationship between a, a leader, a teacher, a rabbi, and his followers, his disciples. And it was this relationship where they would learn from this teacher, learn from this follower, and begin to act like this follower, talk like this follower, sometimes dress like this follower, do the same things as, this, as, as they were followers to the teacher. 
And then over time, he would release the followers to become their own teachers with their own followers. And Jesus grabs a hold of this word, and I believe he uses it in a beautiful way to describe it. And here's the beauty of this. We're going to read a story in just a minute. We're going to enter into a a story from the book of John. And it's going to give you an exact definition of how you can recognize a disciple. There's no ambiguity. There's no, I kind of look like a Christian or kind of act like a Christian. It's right on, hits it right on the head. You ready? You ready to dive on in? Let's go. John chapter 13. We'll throw it up here on the screen. You guys can read it with me. Now let me set the stage of what this is. And this is the perfect time for us to kind of talk about this because we have this particular table here. And this is kind of the table that they were sitting around, the disciples, when we read about this story in John chapter 13. It was this table. They were all sitting around here and they were sharing bread and they were sharing a cup and they were sharing other elements. And it was the midst of this that Jesus kind of identifies one particular of his followers that chooses to betray him, chooses to turn his back on him, chooses to hand him over eventually to the people that have him killed. And as he's kind of labeled in that moment, they, they pass the bread, and Judas puts his bread in there and eats it, and then, and then he leaves. And this is where we have the story. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out. And I love where John stops for a moment and describes the situation as he goes on to something else. Judas has left. One of the people that had spent three years with them had seen all that Jesus had done, has gone out, empty space at the table. And then John adds this, and it was night. This is before streetlights, stoplights, headlights. No one went out at night unless you had bad intentions. And there Judas leaves in the midst of this seriousness, in the midst of this almost frightening situation, Jesus enters this conversation with his disciples. Because you know, just in a couple days, just in a few hours, he's going to be arrested, he's going to be beaten, he's going to be killed. He realizes all of this is going to happen. He looks at his disciples. One just left. He's got 11 hanging there, wondering, freaking out maybe. I would be freaking out. And this is what he says. He says this. Now the Son of Man is glorified and God glorified in him. If, the son, if God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in him and will glorify him at once. Pretty much is what he's saying is, listen, God's glory, God's will, God's power. Heaven is going to come down to earth. Something amazing is going to happen. And you are living part of that story right here, right now. It's happening. Okay? This is a serious situation, guys. Come here. Listen up. Pay attention. Okay? Don't focus on the empty chair. Don't focus on the night. You gotta pay attention. Come on in. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Come here, come here. I tell you something important. This is what he says. He goes on to say this. My children, I will be with you only a little time longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I'll tell you now where I'm going. You cannot come. In other words, he's saying, listen, we've been three years together. You've seen me do amazing things. You've been through thick and thin. It's been scary. It's been real. Now your turn is to lead this on, and I'm out of here. And I'm going to a place 
and you can't follow me. We can't be part of this relationship anymore. It's time for you to take on a different relationship. I'm leaving. I'm going to a place, and you can't follow me. He says, but before I go, let me, let me, let me give you an idea of something to leave you with. Guys, he knows this is probably his last serious, real, heart-to-heart conversation before everything just falls apart, according to their eyes, in just a few hours. And this is what he takes the time to tell them. He says, a new command I give you. Now they know the word commands. In fact, the Jews had several commands. They summed them up to the top ten. You know what I'm talking about? Stone, Charlton Heston, writing on them, those kind of commands. You know what I'm talking about. They knew commands. In fact, Jesus was questioned on the commands earlier, and he said, I can sum sum all those ten up into two. Love God with everything you have. Love other people more than you love yourself. But then he says, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me me sum both of those up into one. Let me kind of give you the seriousness of where you go from here. He says, listen, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you love one another. The same way that I loved you, you love one another. He said, hey, John. Yeah. You remember when I saw you? Yeah. You remember when you and your brother, you wanted to call down fire and and nuke the Samaritans? Yeah. You know I still loved you? Yeah. Same love to other people. Oh, good. He looked at Matthew. Matthew, do you remember when I found you? You were stealing and cheating your own people. What did I do? Did I take you out back and whip you? No. I loved you. Love people the same way. Wow. This is huge. And here we go. He drops this word on him, drops this title on him, drops this label on him. Doesn't use the word Christian. Instead, he uses this. Go to the next slide. By this, everyone, the world, everyone you encounter, good, bad, or somewhere in between, everyone around the world will know that you are my disciples. That you are my followers. He said, by the way, by how many times you go to church in a given month. He says, if you go three times a month, then that makes you a disciple. Right? That's what it says. It says that if you memorize one book of the Bible, and you could pick which one it was, so all you guys are going to pick Philemon because it's the shortest. And you memorize that whole Bible, that whole book, front to back, quote it, and you're done, then you're, you're in. You're, you're a disciple, right? He says this, if you give 10% to the church your whole life, and you bring your W-2s to heaven with you when you get up there, and you, and you hand them on the desk, and I check them over, and I get my, my CPA to look them over, and they, they, they say, yeah, you, you made it. You gave 10%. You're in. You're a disciple. No, he is so exact so pointed, defines this completely and says the world will know, everyone will know by how well you love one another. Wow. There's no question about a definition there. Right? There's no question about what that means. Whether that's hard to swallow or easy to swallow, you can see it plainly in 
black and white. Now, I love the disciples because I, I see myself in them. In fact, I see myself a lot in Peter. Peter kind of had this disease where it's called foot and mouth disease, where he's always taking his foot out of his mouth where he puts it. I kind of have that problem too. And uh, so I always understand Peter. And Peter jumps right into this, and he's like, I don't know where Peter's coming from, but uh, listen out. He says, um, his, his response is, um, um, go back to the next slide. He says, Lord, where are you going? <laughs> like, go back to the previous conversation. Like, did you just miss everything I just said, you know? So um, back to this going thing. You going someplace you can't follow? Go back to that. Where are you going? And Jesus is like, seriously? His response is, where I'm going, you cannot follow. But you'll follow later. You will catch up later. But you've got a new charge, a new definition to who you are. You're no longer a disciple defined by your following of me, your discipleship, your following ship, whatever that word is, your studenthood. Your following is defined by how well you love other people. Well, Peter takes a little offense at this, so this is what he says. He says, Lord, why can't I follow now? I'm ready to go now. He said, in fact, I'll lay down my life for you. We'll get out of this chair, and we will go wherever you want. You want me to go take out Judas? I'll go take out Judas. I would give my life for you. I see the Romans, I'll die for you. I will do whatever you want. I'm ready to follow you to the very ends of the earth. I will follow you, follow you, follow you. And Jesus' response just thrills this home. He says, you will really die for me? You really think that's what I want? Is you for die? Here's what's going to happen. And I tell you, before the rooster crows, you're going to disown me three times. In fact, a middle school girl is going to intimidate you so much that you're going to deny you even knew me. And you want to die for me? It's almost like Jesus is saying, I don't want you to die for me. I want you to love one another. I don't want you to give your life for me. I don't want you to, to, to be crucified for me. I don't want that. What I want is I want you to love for me. Because that's how the world will know. You are my followers. So, are we Christians? Has anyone ever challenged you on your Christian faith? On what you believe? Everyone put it to you, hey, do you, do you really believe this? Do you really believe God is real? How do you know that for sure? Let's prove it to me. Prove it to me that God is real. Or Here's the, the inconsistencies in the Bible. How do you believe that? It's the basis of your Christian faith. And How would you call yourself a Christian when I can prove in the Bible that these things don't line up? In fact, if you were to ask non-Christians, a, a book came out, it was called Unchristian, and it labeled the seven things that, that non-Christians, people that have nothing to do with the Christian faith, it was like a survey book, and they, they, they surveyed all these people that weren't Christians, and they asked them, what are the things that you see most in Christians? And here's what they said. They said, Christians are mostly hypocritical. What they say they believe doesn't line up to what I see in their real life. They're too focused on converts. They're anti-homosexual. They're sheltered. They're too political, and they're too judgmental. 
read that and I think, yeah, I know Christians that are all that. But then I think of Jesus' definition. And I wonder if there's something more. So our, our missionary friend here today, was talking to him out back, and, and uh, he was sharing to me about the power that they have when they're reaching into the world of Israel. And there's been a lot of terrible things that have happened in the name of Islam lately that have driven them away wondering why all the killing, why all the hatred, why all the pain. And so they're left going around wondering, asking. And then there is this contrast, not based upon the Bible, not based upon the church, not based upon Christianity, but there's something in people that they see. And these people happen to go to church and happen to believe in the Bible. And these people love them, not expecting anything in return. And it communicates, doesn't it? They're drawn to that. Why? Why do you love me? Why would you want to care for me? Why would you want to do things for me when you don't even know me? Well, it's because I'm a disciple of Jesus. And that's my definition of following. So what would happen if Christians would choose to love and let that be the mark of their, their religion instead of something we believe or something we hold up? What if it was just simply how we cared for other people? What if the boss became a boss that loved the people that worked for him and really helped and became that boss not in a way to convert them, but just a way to love, because that's what Christians, what followers of Jesus do. What about husbands and wives that chose to be selfless in their marriage? Not seeking what I want, but seeking what they want. Because I love them, because I'm a follower of Jesus. What about parents? What about serving? What about helping in the community? What about letting those things mark our belief of what we say we believe when there's connection in hearts of people? When I was in Indianapolis, I met a, a, a someone who had come to church, and he was a friend of a friend of a friend. Do you ever meet one of those? So I hear so-and-so knows so-and-so, and, and, and they invited them to church, and I think he came because... Um, they promised to take him to lunch afterwards. That always works for me. And he came to church to hear me preach because he wanted lunch. And as he, he heard me, um, he came up and he said, you know what? I don't believe any of this. He had another word there. I believe none of this to you. And I'm like, okay, good way to start a conversation. But I see you helping the school down the street and mentoring them. And I see you teaching people who who aren't from America and welcoming them into this place. And I don't care about what you say. I'm, I don't believe it. I think it's a bunch of whatever. But there's something about you 
and about the way you care for other people that I want to be a part of. And I thought for a moment, I thought, maybe I need to get him to pray the Romans road. Maybe that's what I need, you know. Can, can I convert you? Can we come to the altar? You know, let me share a Bible verse with you, you know. What I said was, listen, Jesus loved us. We believe that. And I don't know if you believe that, but I believe that. And that's the reason we choose to love our neighbors. So we're going to take some time and we're going we're gonna to enter into this table. The, the band's going to come and, and, um, and Glenn's going to come. And we're going to take some time to, to share this table. And we're going to enter in back to that story. We're going to enter in back to the, the story that we just read where, where Jesus is challenging his disciples. And he, and he pulls them in at a tough time, a time when the whole world is falling apart. Some of you might be able to identify with that today. And he pulls them in. He says, come on, come here, come here, come here, come here. I got to get this off my chest. I got to define this. I got to set this up for you. Something new. A new command I give you. Love one another. Because the world will know how well you follow me or whether you're a follower of me by the way you love. Father, we love you and we thank you. As we gather around this table this morning, we pray that you would guide us you would help us to see the love that you have for us, Father, and be challenged by that. And to know that that's the way that marks our relationship with you is how well we love other people. In Jesus' name.